And let's read a passage together from Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, There were about 12 men in all. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the life that is in your word when the Holy Spirit anoints us and anoints our ears. And so I pray that you would do that today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The answer to that is yes and no, depending on what you're really talking about here. Uh, One of the problems that a lot of people who are not charismatic or not Pentecostal or or whatever you'd like to refer to our particular camp as, one of the problems that that people often have is they'll go, uh, you know, you guys think you're better than me. Uh, you, You guys think you're better than somebody. I have the Holy Spirit. When I got saved, I got the Holy Spirit. And you know what? They're right, at least on the second part. Now, if they're right on the, the part about us thinking we're better, then we got a problem. We got to do something about that because we're not. But uh, they are right that when you, when you get saved, you do get the Holy Spirit. There's no question about that. Over in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. The key ingredient, the essential ingredient in being a Christian isn't holding to a certain creed. The key ingredient in being a Christian isn't belonging to a particular organization. It isn't uh, having performed any particular rite. The key and the essential ingredient is that the Spirit lives in us. Because if He doesn't, we don't belong to Christ. Later in the chapter, he says, "...for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God." The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. This is sort of the, well, no, it isn't sort of, it is the the fulfillment of John chapter 1 where it says, To as many as believed on him, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of, of God. And Paul explains it here. The Spirit brought about our, our adoption. He, he's, the, he's the one who actually makes that happen. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. The way we enter the body of Christ, the way you become a part of the body of Christ, isn't, isn't a ritual or a physical initiation. It is... The Holy Spirit who takes us and places us into the body. He's the only one who can do that. 
The only one who can do it. So yes, if you're a believer, if you belong to Jesus Christ, then you do have the Holy Spirit. However, not all believers have the fullness of the Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, we, uh, we understand the difference in the concept between full and not full, right? One chicken leg, not full. Five chicken legs, almost full. <laughs> Truth of the matter is, technically the glass is always full. The question is, what's it full of? I know it's always, when I was a kid, people used to look at me and go, you're full of it. And <laughs> Anyway, uh, we're full, but just not always of the Holy Ghost. There's so much out there that's vying for our attention. There's so many things that we want to do and so much that... That, that, that glitters and so much that, that, that we want to think about and directions that we want to go. I, I don't know about you, but I know for myself, oftentimes, I'll, just, I'll catch myself driving down the road and it's just the perfect time. By the way, Lent's coming up. For those of you who would like to, to do a Lenten observance, this, this coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. That's when Lent begins. Uh, and one of the things that I tend to give up every year at Lent and one of these days it's going to take, and then I can start giving up something else. But one of the things that I start giving up, uh, I usually give up each year for Lent, is a uh, car radio. Instead of getting in there and click, and all of a sudden I'm thinking about, you know, how stupid something is, or how cool something is, or, you know. And, I, and, and every now and then the Lord just stops me and goes, you know, this would be a real good time. For you to experience some of my presence if you'd like to because often you know i just got other stuff to do the fullness of the spirit of god also known as the baptism of the holy spirit is there a baptism of the holy spirit and why in the old testament the, the holy spirit came upon people but he only came upon, uh, he only came to reside in a select few. He, he, didn't, he didn't come upon everyone. Uh, Joseph is one of the people that are referred to as having the Spirit of God within him. The first person in the scripture who's referred to as being filled with the Spirit was Basilel. You all know Basilel, right? This is a, a, an arch church. Basilel was the guy who built the tabernacle and the Lord filled him with the Spirit of God to be able to, to, to create beautiful things with his hands and to be able to build things. Uh, Gideon. Gideon was basically in himself a, a coward, but when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he became a mighty man, mighty man of God. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. That's where his, his strength came from. David must have had the Spirit of the Lord because over in his... His great psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, he says, Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Because that's where the presence comes from. And so he obviously knew and experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit since he was praying for him not to be taken away. Over in Numbers chapter 11, a, 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 there's a very interesting thing 
that Moses says, and in fact, it's one of the most interesting things. Uh, Moses, uh, that's ridiculous. Moses says a lot of interesting things, but, <laughs> but this, is, this is one of the most interesting things Moses says. Uh, the, the job and, and all to become just too big for him, and God said, bring, call forth 70 of the elders of Israel, and I'm going to place my, the spirit that's on you, I'm going to put on them. And 68 of them came. Uh, two guys didn't come, Eldad and Medad. What's wrong with dad? I, I don't know. Probably staying with me mom. Uh, but they stayed in, in the camp and they didn't come. And when the Spirit, when the Lord put the Spirit on these elders, they began to prophesy. And Eldad and Medad did as well, even though they were out in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant, Joshua got bent out of shape about it, and he said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Because you see, in Moses' day, before the new covenant, the spirit wasn't available for just everybody or just anybody. There was only a select few. In the New Testament, after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out and became available to all, just as, just as Moses desired. I don't know if that was a prayer or if it was a prophecy, but it was, it was probably both. But just as he desired. You see, the New Covenant not only brought the forgiveness of sins, which what a wonderful thing that is. The New Covenant not only brought eternal life, what a wonderful thing that is, but the New Covenant also brought the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where every single believer has access to the fullness and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. What a thing to happen. So, well, don't I get that when I get saved? Well, let's, let's, look. let's look at Scripture here for just a minute. There were those in the New Testament who were clearly believers who were still instructed to receive more. The disciples were believers, and very likely they had been baptized since Jesus told them to go and baptize others. You know, if they hadn't been baptized themselves, I think he would have probably said, you guys need to get baptized first and then go baptize others. But, so very likely they were baptized believers, and yet they were told over in Acts 1... Uh, Four through five? Oh, one eight. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. People who were water-baptized believers, he said, You're go- the Holy Spirit's still coming, and you may go, well, the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out yet, so that one, really, that one really doesn't count. Okay, granted. But over in Acts chapter 8, we, we read this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, actually it was last week Philip went to Samaria he preached the gospel Uh, people were saved they were baptized the apostles heard about it and they sent Peter and John up there and it says when they arrived they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus sounds like Maybe there was something more. When Peter went to Cornelius' house, it, it happened the other way around. And I love it when God does something the other way around. Because we're, we're so 
used to this linear notion of God does this and then this and then this and then this and then, you know, and, and sometimes he just decides, I'm going to mess with you guys. And that's what he did. I mean, at, at Cornelius' house, he totally messed with Peter and with those who, who went with him. First of all, because the Gentiles had received the gospel as well and God was willing to receive them. But also because they didn't even wait for the altar call. Peter was just preaching. And all of a sudden, he was telling them about Jesus and, and the Holy Ghost came and, and they started speaking in tongues and all these things began to happen. And, and they went, whoa, God must be accepting the Gentiles. And Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water, which they hadn't even been yet. They have received the Holy Ghost just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And that tells me that he saw these as two separate events. Because he didn't say they've received the Holy Ghost. They don't need anything else right now. He went, no, we, let's, let's, let's baptize them as well. And in the passage we read from today, when Paul arrived in Ephesus, the question he asked is very telling. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He clearly saw those as two different events that had taken place. And when the believers expressed puzzlement about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, it caused Paul to wonder. He said, what, what kind of baptism did you receive? What, what? Where did you get saved and they didn't tell you about the Holy Ghost? It's really what he's saying here. The fact that he viewed it as separate from salvation also should settle a question that sometimes people have. And, uh, and I, think the, I think the enemies use this because, you know, every group's got their, got their radicals, okay? Every group's kind of got their weirdos. They're, they're, they're kind of out there, you know. And, uh, and in terms of the, the, you know, the charismatic and the Pentecostal camps, I mean, I've, I've been in it for centuries now it feels like but it's, it's really truly only decades and uh but i've heard hundreds pro- <coughs> probably thousands of sermons on the baptism of the holy spirit and i don't know that i've ever really heard anybody teach this but i've heard rumors that it's taught that some people actually teach if you don't speak in tongues and have the baptism of the holy spirit you're not saved now, you ever heard that that was something that people taught <laughs> okay yeah uh, and I think that the enemy has kind of used that because certainly, I mean, if, if, I, if, I weren't, if I wasn't brought up in Pentecostalism, that certainly put me off. Uh, being brought up in Pentecostalism, I know it's not true. I mean, there, there might be somebody who's taught that somewhere sometime. Okay, they weren't inspired of God. And this should totally, this should totally solve it. I mean, you know, how can you teach that they're two separate experiences and go, but if, you're, if you don't have this one, you ain't got this one. Salvation is a wonderful thing, but there's more. There is more. So how does one receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How do you know that you have received it? Uh, Let's talk about speaking in tongues for a little while. We're not going to get into much teaching on that this week. We're going to be going there in some future weeks. But uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues, first of all, let me, let me make you aware, neither one of those ever disappeared from the church. Uh, I mean, it, sometimes people go, well, where, where did they go for 1,800 years between the 1st and 20th century? Well, they, they were there. 
it just wasn't something that was highlighted a lot. But if you go back and you look through church history, you'll, you'll certainly find it. But at the beginning of the 20th century, an interesting thing happened. There was a marriage, if you will, doctrinally, between, between these two concepts, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. A man named Charles Parham had a Bible school in Topeka, Kansas, the uh, Bethel Bible College in Topeka, Kansas. And that's where the doctrine of the initial physical evidence of the Holy Spirit originated from. Uh, it was an interesting Bible school. Uh, it wasn't your typical Bible school. They, they didn't charge tuition. They only had one textbook, and that was the Bible. However, in order to attend this Bible school, you had to sell everything you had, give it to the poor, and come to Bible school. It wasn't a large Bible school. <laughs> they, they had about 30 or 40 students. And uh, in December of 1900, Charles Parham uh, challenged his students to search the Scripture and let's, let's see if there's anything we can find that would be evidence that we know when the Holy Spirit is coming to a person's life. Uh, and on... December the 31st of 1900, they held a, a watch night service, and they had uh, they discovered at that point that they had come to the conclusion that uh, speaking in tongues was the evidence that the baptism of the Holy Spirit had come into a person's life. And on the, excuse me, on the next night, uh, on January the 1st, 1901, Agnes Osmond was the first believer probably in the history of the world to go... To, to speak in tongues and thereby go, I know I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I spoke in tongues. Now, others had gotten the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoken in tongues, but this was probably the first time that anybody went, that's how I know. Okay, you, you follow where I'm saying? Uh, five years later, in 1906, a man named William Seymour uh, held a revival in Los Angeles, California on a, in Azusa Street, on Azusa Street. Actually... Uh, William Seymour had been a student of Charles Parham's. Uh, Parham had come to Houston, Texas and uh, held some seminars and Seymour had, had uh, fallen under the influence of his teaching there. And when he, he had actually been invited to Los Angeles to hold a revival in a church. And so he came to this church and he, uh, uh, the first night that he was there, he preached the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. And they in, uninvited him and told him not to come back anymore. And so he, uh, he actually started a home Bible study. And uh, the home Bible study just exploded. I mean, people were coming from everywhere. It spilled out in the yard. They, they basically started having to hold it outside. And, and, uh, and they'd be on the front porch of the house. And uh, the, the, the place got so crowded and... Uh, there was so much shouting and, and jumping up and moving to the right and moving to the left going on <laughs> that the porch fell off the house. <laughs> and so they, they uh, moved to Azusa Street, and on April, I think it's the 17th, uh, April 14th of 1906, uh, they had their first service at Azusa Street in an abandoned warehouse that had been serving as a stable prior to that time. And it was It was something. Uh, for the next 10 years, people came from all over the world. The, the core group in this Bible, well, in this revival, probably never was more than 50 or 60 people. But there would be hundreds, sometimes thousands of people who would come for this revival. 
because of the signs that God was doing and the healings and, and to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the teaching about the initial physical evidence being tongues went, went out from there. And over the rest of the 20th century, by the end of the 20th century, estimates, and, and no, estimates are really all you can get on this. I mean, I you can't go out there and count everybody, but uh, estimates of those who were Pentecostal or who had that experience uh, ranged from 25 to 50% of Christendom. That would be somewhere between a, uh, a, half, a, a half a billion and a billion and a half people, depending on how many Christians you, you think there are in the world and which percentage that you use. A lot of people. Whole lot of people. So that's where the, uh, the doctrine of the initial physical evidence being tongues came from. And so the question arises, do you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Boy, my daddy. Uh, <laughs> but you know, we, we, my dad and I had this conversation. Uh, I was certainly raised with that doctrine, but I cannot emphatically say that you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And like I say, my daddy and I even had that conversation, and he, and he you know, kind of went along with me. So if you, if you want to get mad at me for saying that, then uh, just it's my dad you're getting mad at. <laughs> and here's, here's, here's why. Uh, I don't believe that it can be absolutely proved from Scripture. In fact, I know that it can't. However, that's not to say that it's not important. Let me tell you some things about this. First of all, I believe that that doctrine was certainly used by the Holy Spirit during this last century because... Like I say, you know, we may look at, at church history and go, well, where'd the, whole, where'd the baptism and, the, and tongues go, huh? Well, they didn't go away anywhere, but boy, they sure had a low profile. And, and about 100 years ago, God decided it's time for that profile to change. And I believe that it was an important element to be able to have something to point to and say, this is how I know I got the Holy Ghost. Having said that, those of you who have Receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in other tongues. Let me tell you something, other common experience that you and I have together. Within 24 hours after that happened to you, there was this voice in the back of your head that was going, that was just you. That was just you. That, that wasn't the Holy Ghost. You, you, just, you just heard somebody do some, make some noise and you learn how to make it yourself. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, you know, you, you have, that's a fiery, fiery dart. You, you know, you get your umbrella out when, when that comes. But the fact that you've spoken in tongues doesn't necessarily take you to the place where you go, I know that I, that I got it because I did that. Because the devil casts doubts in there. He absolutely does. But it was, it was certainly good to have something to, 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 to work towards to point to because that raised the consciousness of the whole church. They began to kind of go, hmm, there's something here. There's, there's something that's important. Also, uh, it certainly is associated with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Now, we don't have any direct instruction about any physical evidence, which says, and, and, that, and that says something right there. But five times in, in, in the book of Acts, people are referred to as being filled with the Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. 
in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and yes, they spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 4 was an occasion where uh, Peter and John had been brought before the Sanhedrin. They came back to the believers. The believers had a big, uh, a big prayer meeting after they came back. And it says the Holy Ghost came and filled them all, and there's no mention of speaking in tongues. However, it does say that they spoke the Word of God boldly, which would be a sign of the Holy Spirit coming because Jesus said, You shall receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So there is an element of, of, of power that comes there. In Acts uh, chapter 8, that was what we read last week. It was in Samaria where uh, uh, Peter and John went and laid hands on the, on the believers and they received the, the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And Simon looked at him and went, I'll give you money if I can do that. Now, it doesn't say that they spoke in tongues, okay? They did something because otherwise he wouldn't have offered them money to have the power to do it. So, I mean, something took place that he saw. Then in Acts chapter 10, that's at Cornelius' house. Yes, the Holy Ghost came upon all of those and filled them while Peter was preaching and they, they spoke in tongues. And then later on, uh, Acts, Acts chapter 19 is the passage that we read today, which took place in, uh, in Ephesus where where Paul prayed for those dozen believers who were there, and, and they spoke in tongues. Let me say this. Those who receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit can speak in tongues. And I would say you, I'd say you, should, you should ask for it. You, and, you know, and some of you are probably sitting out there going, why in the world would I want that? And we're going we're gonna to do some extensive teaching about it later. But let me just say... There's a lot more to it than you know. There's a, there's a lot more to it than you think. There's, a, there's, there's a, a means of communication there with God that is, that is very powerful and it's very real. And, and we'll get into it later. But let me also say this. When it comes to uh, physical evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit, I would much rather have somebody who exhibits in a powerful and glorious way, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and has never spoken in tongues in their life, than somebody who can speak in tongues to beat the band and they're mean as a snake. And you know, and I know a few of them. I mean, I'm mean, not calling any names. None of them go to this church. But... The, the, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit really should come out in your life. And it will, and it does. But that does not mean that tongues are not important. There, there, there's some very important things about that. And like I say, we're going we're gonna to uh, we're gonna get into those in a couple of weeks to come. But I, I want to I wanna touch on this as we, as we close here. All right, how do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You know, I was taught, Barbie was taught, you go down, you pray till you've spoken in tongues, and you've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, if that's not it, what is it? The closest, well, let me just say this way. The same way you receive salvation. How do you know you're saved? Well, I, I, I know I'm saved because I got baptized. No, 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 no. That's how I know you're saved. How do you know you're saved? Well, I know I'm saved because uh, the, the Bible tells me. Uh-huh. 
Yeah? Tells you what? So, well, if I believe in Jesus and ask him to save me, he will. Okay. This is the only instruction that I really see in Scripture, the closest thing to an instruction regarding the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's over in Luke chapter 11. Interesting place. Jesus is saying, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So the formula for receiving the Holy Spirit the baptism, the fullness of the Spirit is ask, believe, receive. You may say, well, whoa. why didn't he just give it to me when, I, when I, I get saved? I don't know. He said to ask. He wants us to ask. Oh, why does he want us to ask? Well, that's just a stupid question. If you want it, ask. If you don't want it, leave me alone. Don't ask me questions about it, you know. Just ask, believe, receive. The way you know that you're saved, really, uh, yes, the Bible does tell you so, but let me tell you how you really know you're saved. There is a witness inside of you. There, there is a witness. I agree with this, brother. There is a, yeah, I wish I had six of you out there. Uh, th- there is a witness inside of you that, that is different. It, it's it's different. I mean, you know, you may there may be dramatical dramatical. Is that a word? I was trying to say dramatic in a big way, so I add, I added syllables to it. You, there may be dramatic changes, or maybe maybe they won't. Maybe maybe they're subtle changes, but inside you know something has happened. You know something is different. That is the witness of the Holy Spirit in your life he's the one who causes you to go abba father i i belong to him and when you when you ask believe and receive the baptism of the holy spirit let me tell you there's a witness there's a witness that comes now fiery darts you know the enemy will come and go "Ah, no you you didn't you didn't really get that he's a liar the father of all lies that witness is still there it really is. And you may go, well, I, I didn't speak in tongues. Well, ask. ask. Want. You know, what I was telling you, well, I got... Uh. All right, two things, two main points, very quickly. The Holy Spirit has long been associated with holiness. Well, hello, what's his name? Holy Spirit, Yes. However, the, the holiness that is, that is often associated with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, oftentimes people take uh, outward forms of holiness and, and kind of plaster it over, you know, the situation and go, well, that's the Holy Ghost, you know. No, not necessarily. And, and, I, and I think it's created some barriers. So let, let me tell you something. You don't have to get good enough to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Same way that you don't have to get good enough to be saved. In fact, you can't get good enough to be saved. You can't get good. Who, who among us got so good that God just had to pour his spirit out on us? Nobody. So it's not a matter of, I, I've got my house clean, now I can go get it. No, you need him to get your house clean. That's, that's how that works. Second thing... 
This is the key. The second thing, when, when you, if you were here earlier in the year and you heard the testimonies, especially uh, Bruce and, and Margaret and Wayne, I, I mean, Barbie and I were brought up hearing about the Holy Spirit from the get-go. So, you know, we just, we just always knew that. But Bruce and Margaret and Wayne, in some ways, I kind of envy them. Uh, and one of the things that you heard from all three of them was, you know, I'd gotten saved. I didn't hear anything about the Holy Spirit. And then when I did, I went, I want everything God has for me. If he's got more, I want more. That's, that's the key. The first, the first week that I, that I talked about this, I said, uh, you know, we can have an altar service here and normally I'd have people come forward and get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I said, don't do that. Go home and read the Word and get hungry. Get hungry. Get, get convinced. This isn't, this isn't an experience. This is a new way of living. This is, this is a whole new life that we're talking about entering into. And so it, the real key is wanting all of God. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. That's what, if you want that, that is available. And you know, and if you and if if you don't, if you're not ready, I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm just saying <laughs> there's a reason why God brought you here today. And there's been a seed planted. And my prayer is that you're not able to to slough it off. My prayer is that you that you go, by the end by the end of the week you're angry with me why did he preach that why why am i thinking about this you know because god wants you to want all of him would you stand with me for those who're going to pray for people come forward at this time and if you want to receive the baptism of the holy spirit if if that's if that's something that you know, if you can go, you know, I don't, that's not something that I've ever had in my life. But, I, you know, I think that might be real. I think that just might be something that I, that I, should, that I should be wanting. Come on down. These brothers and sisters all know how to pray with you for that. Ask, believe, receive. Any need, though, that you have. You, you may have a physical need. You may have an emotional need, a, a, a family need, relational, financial. Any need that you have, you come. The altar's open. The Holy Ghost, the same, the same Holy Spirit who comes and brings God's presence also brings God's power. And so we're going to worship for a few moments. We'll wait for you. You come. Nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen. Holy Ghost. 
hungry enough, he's ready. Doesn't matter where you are. You'd be in your kitchen. That'd be an interesting place to get hungry. Your bedroom, your car, be at work. You can be at Lowe's or Home Depot, wherever you are. Ask, believe, receive. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, sent his son into the world not only that our sins might be forgiven but that we might have life and have it to the full may you experience that fullness of life through the fullness of the holy spirit through jesus christ our lord amen